Well, friends, we um, was asked for titles to the sermons, uh, and uh, this evening the sermon is actually the text which we're going to illustrate in the life of Job, but to illustrate the text and the context of our text, I'd like to invite you to turn to um, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and um, pastor may tell me there's far too much content in the sermon, but it could be a series, but I'm going to squeeze it all in one message. But uh, our text is in Romans chapter 12, and please uh, announce a page number if you think that would be helpful, if anyone needs it, but if you've all found it. 947948, depending on what verse. Oh, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right. Romans chapter 12, and our text this evening is Do not be overcome by evil, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'd like just to briefly, and it will be succinctly, introduce the context of this text, and then we're going to turn to Job, and we're going to ask two brief questions. How do we overcome evil with good? Uh, overcome evil with good. How do Job do it? How does evil come to us? And then how ultimately as we look to Christ. But we're going to take Job as a character study uh, and to see how he did it in principle then how we may also by the same, yes, Old Testament, but by the same grace of God. So first of all then, the context of our text, verse 21, is set of course in the transitional momentum of Paul's great epistle to the church at Rome of which he didn't plant and yet he loved the people of God and, he, and he, he longed to visit them in order that he might impart a spiritual gift. There's a pastor's heart for you, isn't it? He longed to impart a spiritual gift. Why? That they may be mutually edified. You know, people say, oh, pastor, you've been a blessing and that's nice to hear. I don't want to hear it too much, but it's nice as well because it's not helpful sometimes. <laughs> Puffs you up. But I'm blessed. I am the one blessed coming to you. Went to a care home one time, talked to somebody, wandered around the rooms, you're eventually invited in, and that's how to do it. And uh, I think his name was John, bedbound fellow, lying on his back. You know what he said to me? And what has Jesus done for you today? He can't even get up out of bed. I said, John, I've come to tell you that, you've asked me to tell. And um, another fellow, he asked me in, once he asks you in, you can come in, of course. <laughs> you invite them to come to the service. And anyway, he said, oh, I don't believe in that. Oh, no, no, no. Don't believe in that rubbish, he said. I said, one of us is wrong. One of us is wrong. Chat, talk to him. And the point is here that uh, this practical transition of this wonderful letter, uh, I don't know how I got to that, <laughs> with a poor with a pastor's heart, but um, even writing to the church in, the Philippine, in Philippi, he says, I, I have you in my heart. It is right to me, it is right for me to feel this way. And pray for your pastor. Pray for each other. And though this has been recorded, I think it is possible. Sometimes, you can correct me afterwards, that we can fall in and out of love with each other. I know that sounds a very strange thing to say. Pastors tell me later. <laughs> I think it's inappropriate to say that. But you know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. And sometimes I am frankly unlovable. I am frankly unlovable. <laughs> You're not going to invite me back now, are you, Pastor? <laughs> but yeah, in other words, you know, we're fallible and we fail and we fall. Anyway, mustn't ramble. Let's get straight to the point. Practical exhortations. And Paul in this chapter gives us three principal thoughts Three principal attitudes that we are to have right as keys in order to overcome evil with good. The first is in verses 1, to 1 and 2, and that is in our relationship to God. This, of course, is of paramount importance, our relationship to God. Who do you say that I am? How is it with your soul tonight, my friends? And um, here Paul says, therefore, in the light of, in view of, from him and through him are all things. In, in view of God's mercy, summarised in those phrases, 
as Christ is the mediator, from him, through him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Therefore I urge you, I beseech you, in view of God's mercies, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifices. We, we can't go into it too much, but the play on words, Old Testament, dead sacrifices, as pictures of sacrifice, sacrifice and substitution, Christ the sin-bearer, prefigured in the Old Testament sacrificial system, hands are laid as, a, as an illustration of trans, the transference of guilt, liability, onto that scapegoat, onto that animal, sent away and bearing our sin, illustrations of the gospel, sacrifice and substitute. And yet, Paul says, as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Take my hands and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and days, my hands, my eyes and ears. Remember in chapter 7, Paul talks about the members. The members, that is the members of our body. And we need to offer them to God. And this, of course, will involve, secondly, uh, part of our relationship to God will include, out of our consecration and devotion to the Lord, uh, a transformed and renewed mind. Verse 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the Christian, through the work of the word particularly and primarily, though not only, but primarily, as we saw this morning, through the exceeding great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. And this is especially true in the thought life and the progressive sanctification of the Christian. The helmet of salvation, the helmet of hope, the thought life of the Christian. And I'm not pretending that I myself as a Christian do not struggle with a weak mind and a sinful mind and, te- and so on. And as a young Christian particularly, I was like a yo-yo up and down. I mentioned my conversion this morning in 1980. And I'm so glad that people can, can be unashamed of the Lord. The same lady who led me to the Lord. One day I went to church. How are you today? I didn't say fine, thank you. I said, I'm rubbish. I said, I feel like a yo-yo. And my thought life was wicked, immoral, terrible. And she took me to Philippians chapter 4, finally, brothers, whatsoever. And from then, my life was changed. She said, take your Bible everywhere and anywhere. I don't drive, never have. Well, part fair my chest, right? Um, and so everywhere, I took my Bible. Underlined it, read it, read it. And I'm still reading it. And, still <laughs> and, and, and the Lord has helped incredibly in the areas of my mind. Yes, I'm happy and sad at the same time. A little boy asked me at church one day. He said, thank you for asking me. How are you today? He said, uh, after school club. I said, oh, thank you for asking. I said, I'm happy and sad. I had to explain. That as a Christian, I'm happy and trusting God. And yet sometimes I am sad because I, I fail and make mistakes and down to their level. And the point is, your mind and your mental health, and we must, in expose to the word of God, reading, how often, when and where, Make the most of your opportunities in your own habits and lifestyle, strengths and weaknesses. Read the word of God. And if you can't read it, hear it. Hear it. Faith comes by hearing. Study in it. Study. Search the scriptures. Not just come in a Bible study, I've done my bit for the day. No, no, no. Search the scriptures. You've got no excuse. I've got no excuse. Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's what I want to do. I was asked something the other day and I, I couldn't remember it. And I said, Lord, of course, I, my mind's slippery. But the Spirit helps us. Reading, study, memorize, meditate. Meditate. If you want to be the blessed man of someone who's, who's like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who brings forth his fruit in season, you need to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And you need to speak the scriptures. Speak it. Use it in your prayer life. Sing it anything, any way. I'm amazed. I see people on the books less so now on the train, you know, because it's now on the phone, on the iPad. 
People have got a big book like that. How have they got time to read that? What are you reading? Are you reading other things? No, no, no. I mustn't, must be carry on. Anyway, there we are. Relationship to God. Notice third thing, thirdly, that will happen, and I will be increasingly quicker, um, that this renewed mind will prove and be a stepping stone to discovering the will of God. Notice then you will be able to prove God's good, what is good, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect will. People say to me they have trouble with guidance. I saw a Facebook post the other day or some time ago. There was a man on his desk like this praying and he had a Bible that was closed. That's a powerful image, isn't it? Praying, but the Bible was closed. I think it would have made all the difference if the picture was like this. And so we are, we are troubled with the will of God and yet the Bible is quite clear. Big picture principles. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Whatever happens. Whatever happens, Paul says, the important thing is that Christ is preached. I don't care what happens, he says. The important thing is that Christ is preached. And this has happened, as I said this morning, that we might learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God. Walking down the road, a lady, couldn't I say hello? The lady dropped her bag, burst into tears. Talked to her, gave her a tenner. Send her, sometimes I have to send people to the doctors, the psychiatrists, and the, the solicitors. But I said to her, John 9, this has happened that the work of God might be displayed in your life. That's it. This is an opportunity for you to think about God, I said. And uh, shared. Very simple, easy, effortless, in the right sense, learning how to do this, of course, still. But we must just trust that God will help us. Step outside my work. I just say, well, Lord, shall I go this way, that way? Because there are opportunities. Because our minds are shaped by the word of God and we are in season. Secondly, our relationship to um, ourselves. Verse 3. For by the grace of God given me... I say to every one of you, Paul is saying, as of his own example, by the grace of God, he's not boasting, but by the grace of God given to me, and remember he said, I am what I am by the grace of God, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And so essentially we are to have a right attitude towards ourselves. I went to a house party the other day and I think one of the questions was saying, you know, are we to think of ourselves as a worm? It's in, it's in one of our hymns, which I think is unhelpful, but it's an old hymn and it's, but we need to see ourselves as God sees us in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Yeah. Although, you're ang- although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you've comforted me. In Christ I am accepted in the beloved, I am the apple of God's eye. And um, outside of Christ, and I'm, I, 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 whilst I hypothetically, because I cannot be outside of Christ, because nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. But we need to see ourselves to avoid the extremes, big-headed, I'm the man, no, I can, you know, no. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Oh, I can't do nothing, I don't. My friends, you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. And so we need to have our right attitude to ourselves. This goes on to discovering our gifts in the church, which pastor will have to teach on another time. And our third relationship, our third relationship is our attitude to others from verse nine onwards. Especially the practical directives to work hard and you're doing this well at this church, brother, brothers and sisters. I can see it happening. Love must be sincere, being devoted to one another, honouring one another. I know I've left out, left out some other things. Never be lacking in zeal. It's lovely and infectious for me to meet Christians who have a passion and concern for people, who have a compassion and aspiration to want to share their faith. I hope you don't mind me mentioning Verity as an example, but she was asking questions and so on, and she wants to serve the Lord. She wants to talk about faith. These things are encouraging and a blessing. Never be lacking in zeal. The church is persecuted. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. This is the context of our text. 
excuse me. This is the context of our text. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. Notice in the eyes of everyone. In the right sense, the world is watching us. Uh, but we do everything under God's eye and God's gaze, of course. But um, as far as it depends on us, we must live at peace. Vengeance is the Lord's, etc. Don't, if we're the victim and all of those things, guard your heart, have a right spirit. It's hard, it's not easy at times. But God will help you. And what would be the point if I do not pray with forgiveness? How can I expect God to forgive me if I do not forgive others? And um, this is the context of our text. And so Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do not be overcome by evil. That's the context of our text. One definition, and then we turn to Job. What does Paul mean by the word evil here? Do not be overcome by evil. Now, pastor may have a working knowledge of Greek, I don't. But I'm pretty certain from my research and homework that this is not the ordinary meaning of evil sometimes which Paul uses, which is the evil of our sinful nature or the evil of sin. Though the principle might be applied, because obviously, do not be overcome by sin, evil. So you could probably apply the principle, but in the context, he doesn't mean the evil of indwelling sin. Again, you can tell me if you think he does. He does he, in the context, I can't see him meaning that. I think what Paul's, I believe what Paul is meaning here, by the word evil, in the context, is the evil of calamity, tragedy, and disaster. In the context of being persecuted, etc. So he says, pray for your enemies. You've been hostilely, wrongly treated, etc. So now as we turn to Job, certainly it's the meaning in the Hebrew, in Job chapter 1 and 2. Whenever we use the word evil, do not be overcome by evil. What does evil mean? Calamity, tragedy, disaster in its many expressions and in its many forms. Do not be overcome effectively, basically we're saying by our circumstances. By evil. Of course God is not the author of evil or sin, and so we'll we'll raise that question right now as we turn with me now to Job chapter 1. What we're going to do now, the second part of the message is illustrate, do not be overcome by evil. How did Job do it? How does evil come to us? Some few remarks about Job and then we'll answer these two questions. First of all, some comments, introductory comments about Job and, and the book, very brief. First of all, we want to notice the historicity of our account. The historicity of our account, and this is not meant to be hilarious, it's in the land of Uz and not Oz. It is a real place. We don't know where Uz is now. <laughs> we don't, uh, on the map, you know, the old commentators, nobody knows where Uz is. <laughs> but it is a real place, it was a real place. Wherever it was, there was a real man, a real man whose name was Job. Praise God. This is real life history here, one of the oldest documents, if not the oldest document we have in the Bible. But the point is, he was a real man who under God, in the Old Testament economy and covenant, I mean, this was pre, um, we were thought to be pre Ten Commandments and so on. So how did he, how could he do what he did? How is he described? This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. And the description is morally in, in relation to men and also, is that vertical? And vertically to God. Before men, he was blameless and upright, a man of integrity, honest, reliable, hardworking. He wasn't a crook. He, he, God blessed the work of his hands, of course, later. But the point was, he was also a man who was a believer. And I think we can say, despite his wife's wobbles, we, we, we assume equally, I do anyway, that she was a believer. But the point is, he feared God. And fear in the Bible, in the, role, in the fullest sense, includes and embraces faith. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, 
includes and embraces not just reverence and respect, but a concern to please God, who is our Father, in relationship through faith in Christ, ultimately prefigured in the sacrifices. But somehow or other, Job was able to be described as a man who feared God. I think we must find out how he did it, but I know. I'll tell you how he did it in a little while. But God did it in him. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was prosperous. Secondly, we notice as a prosperous, blessed believer, he led the way with Mrs. Job. I'm sure Mrs. Job was by his side in verse, the end of verse 5. Early in the morning he would sacrifice, not just him, I'm sure. We who are parents, not just. <laughs> but he led as a priest of the family in the right sense and he prayed for his children. And this was his regular custom. And my friends, we must continue to pray. As I said to someone 50 years, a man I know who, who prayed for his children, his son has just been converted. God, God allowed him to live to see the answer to his prayer. 50 years, 50 years. Keep on praying. Go on knocking, go on asking. If you then be evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. God is the God of the how much more, my friends? How much more? Not only will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to God to those who ask, but that he will bless us and incline his ear to us, even for these puzzling dilemmas in our life, which, which affect us deeply. But we also want to notice that um, this encounter uh, could either be pre-fall, in other words, before the fall. Is this a real-life event? I personally don't think so. I think it comes under the umbrella of anthropomorphic language, which means the invisible God being described in human terms. God who does not have hands and eyes and ears, and now being in the Bible's progressive revelation, described. God doesn't have hands and eyes and ears. He is a spirit. And yet, he is the Bible is preparing us for the incarnation. When God will be manifest, God will be incarnate. God will have hands and eyes and ears in Jesus. This is a scenario given, I believe, rather in principle and truth, because how can we imagine a holy God being in the company and in the presence of the devil? God is of too pure eyes than to behold iniquity, unless this was pre-fall, which it can't be because the devil was involved in these things. So anyway, that's just for your homework. Whenever this happened, it really happened, that somehow or other, one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. The question is, how did evil come to us? How does evil come to Job? The first main point is that evil, God allows to come to us indirectly. That God allows evil, calamity, tragedy and disaster to come into our lives. And indeed, the Bible is quite clear. We need discernment. We sometimes get it wrong, so be very careful in your judgment. But the Lord makes rich. The Lord makes poor. The Lord kills. God has, Jesus has the keys of death and hell, not the devil. Jesus. No such thing as premature death. No, no, no. Humanly we think, oh yeah, no. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And um, I think we need to see that even the devil recognised, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you, have you, sorry, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? But notice what Job says in verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Job is saying, he's just trusting you because You've, you've, you've put a hedge around him. I can't get to him. I've tried to. I can't. Um, have you not put a hedge around him and all he has in his household and everything he has? Have you not blessed the works of his hands? This is very important for us to remember. Have you not blessed the works of his hands? God is the one who causes the grass to, go, the grass to grow and the snow to fall and the proverbs and everything. God is a God of providence. God is a God of creation. He opens his hands and satisfies the desire of every living thing doesn't matter what David Attenborough tells you, as, as nice as he is and as helpful and in, 
visually great as these programs are. The commentary is rubbish. God, yeah, oh yeah, the, God, the commentary is rubbish. The, the, the imagery is amazing. We live in a wonderful world. I was going to sing, and I think, what a wonderful world that kid goes singing it. But um, God, the, the Bible says the lions roar and seek their prey from God. So the lion has an instinct to kill, you know, because it's a fallen world before there was no carnivorous feelings. After sin came into the world, the curse and so on, creation, thorns and thistles, all reminders of sin, pain in childbirth, all reminders of sin, and so too the hostility and change and decay in the creation. But the point I'm making here is that the devil himself recognises. That's why the devil effectively says, look, stretch out your hands and strike him. And yet it was the devil who went out from the presence of the Lord, and in this particular case, and not in every case, and I say this for the recording, and in this particular case, and not in every case, the devil afflicted Job. Because people are, are, are lovely, many mostly converted charismatic friends excessively say that sickness comes from the devil. It doesn't. Ultimately, it comes through as a result of sin, but that's another subject altogether in part. <laughs> the point I'm making, we must be very careful. Yes, the Lord, the Lord's sent leanness into their hearts. He gave them what they want and he sent spiritual leanness into the heart. And uh, the Lord sends sickness and judgments as well. But he's not the author of sin and he's not the author of temptation. And yet the Lord gives permission. Very well then, verse 12. Everything is in your hand, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. I think it's a little unhelpful, the, new, the other version, about do not lay a hand or something. It's, it's a finger, the detail in the original. It's about the detail finger, if you don't mind the illustration, um, um, uh, the, 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 the spy firm, I can't remember what it was, Mission Impossible, the lady had a little micro, micro bug thing, piece of felt, and inside was a microphone, and she just brushed it on a gentleman's jacket, just like that, and the finger is an illustration of the detail, the finger to take an eyelash shot, you know, the finger, the, on, the, on the train the other day, there were three ladies doing the makeup. But the finger was just a little thing. And the point is about the detail. That the details of our life, God allows, first or second hand, we may not always be able to identify how and its source as such, but, but, but it's about the purpose. Very well then, but on the man do not lay a finger. Satan went out in the presence of the Lord. Evil then came into Job's life. And I know in chapter 1 we do have the death of his family, which was a more personal, direct, the second heading, but indirectly, he lost everything overnight. And this is devastating. He was the richest and greatest man in all the East. He had 7,000 cattles and all his daughters and children he had. And uh, the point is, that's no easy task. And to be lost one thing after another, and there's this momentum, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, another. And my friends, we can't really enter into it until we read this chapter 10 times. Because it's, it's not surprising that Job... He didn't lose his voice for seven days, but he sat in silence with his friend, so-called, for seven days. Uh, and that can be our reaction. But the point is that we recognise that God, in his character, this is where it's a challenge, knowing that God is sovereign and in control, can do what he likes, when he likes, and how he likes, and yet he allows this. And of course, in the New Testament, there's a whole understanding, and even in the Old Testament too, to God's purposes in our trials, whether they're directly related to being suffering for a Christian or whether they're just ordinary and everyday trials in relation to health and things like this reminded somebody quite recently John 11 Lord the one you love is sick 
not the one who loves you, the one who's doing this for you, Job doesn't understand. Um, Lazarus, he's, he's been a deacon in the church, Lord. He doesn't visit, no. Lord, the one you love is sick. He loves us no less when we're sick than when we're not sick. And in fact, the psalmist says it was good for me to be sick. It was good for me to be afflicted. Three times in Psalm 119. He's not a masochist. He doesn't enjoy this earth. The, the, the thing. But he realized, then I've learned your righteous law, he says. I need this, Lord. I need to be humble to keep me from being conceited, Paul says. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Uh, and so this is the point. So evil comes to us, evil, calamity, tragedy, disaster, allowed by God in his sovereignty, in his purposes. Job never understood why. He didn't, even by the end of the book, he still didn't know. So evil comes to us indirectly, our property, possessions, we have a loose attachment. I'm attached to my phone and I think I will be mourning for seven days if it was lost. But I've got to say, Lord, you've allowed it to be lost. And sometimes you lose something and praise God it can be found. Yes, we shut our eyes and pray, things turn up. Uh, and God is amazing. But if, if God chose, and in our life circumstances, without being crazy and paranoid, we, we commit our ways to the Lord. We trust in him. We use all our common sense and sanctified sense and have a loose connection in this life. Of course, it's a little bit difficult with the second heading that evil comes to us directly. And in chapter 2, alongside the devastating loss and bereavement of his children, seven sons and three daughters. One son would be enough. One daughter would be enough. And people say, you know, the parents, they want to sort of outlive their children. There's no guarantee we'll outlive our children. I was ill the other day and somebody was praying for me. It was quite late at night and I had, anyway, suspected gallstones or something. And I was whisked away to the ambulance the week before and everything. And so I said, I, I need prayer. I said, and we bumped into each other at the house party quite late at night. So they laid hands on me, prayed for me. Good. And he said, oh Lord, sometimes you call us to be with you. Of my eyes, I said, Lord, is it going to be tonight? <laughs> but oh, I'm, I, I don't mind. I'm ready. And uh, I'm ready. That's okay. But uh, the point is, we don't know when, do we? Sudden death syndrome. Do you know how many people are taken out? Sudden death syndrome. Young people. People have been to the gym and everybody. And uh, the Lord gives and we know our children are a gift to us. The Lord gives and takes away. But the second um, practical illustration of how evil comes into our, our lives, of course, is in the area of health and relationships. Health and relationships from the crown of... Job's head to the sole of his feet. This morning I went into, um, I, did, I chose not to, it was a little awkward, the train was delayed but on its way. Went into the waiting room, there was a, a, an elderly lady who'd obviously homeless and stayed there and uh, in, a, in a poor state, uh, health-wise and uh, needy. But um, however illness comes to us and so on, mysteriously, suddenly, unexpectedly, genetically and all the rest, the Lord allows it, allows it. Who is not weak and I do not feel weak. We read this morning, didn't we, that though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed. And I, I covet my health. I want to be a little bit more healthy and fitter. My voice, praise God, has been restored 11 years ago. I lost it for 11 months. Couldn't preach, shout or sing. I'm still not allowed to sing. I still do. Uh, but every now and again, my voice gets a bit weak because I, I use it so much and I probably sing at the wrong pitch. But um, God is... God could do without me. And I was resigned 11 years ago to retire early and just be a silent Christian as such because I couldn't speak. I had to go to speech therapy. And, uh, Robert, they're looking for you. <laughs> I don't, don't know why you. <laughs> why you? Why you? I don't know why. <laughs> Brother, no, they're not now. Uh, you once was lost. No, you're fine. No worries. But um, um, 
Yet God allows sickness. And sickness is so complex, isn't it? There could be a million ways, a myriad of things that can go wrong in your life. Blood pressure, whatnot, I don't want it to be doom and gloom. But you know, the Lord is the strength of our life. The Lord is the strength of our life. And God does use means in medicine and surgery, praise God, and, and, and cold more and painkillers, and many things to help our relief in our body. The Lord is for the body. But in this mysterious world, our friend Trevor uh, Baker, you, did you know Trevor Baker Chola? Yeah. yeah, he entered his rest, and I whispered in his ear, and we praise God. But he, I saw him in, in March, April, and I saw him in April. We, we had a conference together and everything, and within a few weeks, he deteriorated with secondaries and said, stuff going on in his brain um, and so on and yet they said his speech will go and his voice will go and these things went but his love for Christ did not go praise God it growed <laughs> hallelujah his, you could see in his eyes we'd speak of heaven we'd speak of the things of God and they were real to him praise God and it was wonderful he died in the Lord and died well and uh, praise God blessed are the dead and those who die in the Lord and precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints and um, not just in sickness and suffering, we haven't majored on the symptoms. I don't think they're as important as the detail is, you know, the particular details of Job's sores and boils and all the rest. But also in relations, and this is particularly highlighted and illustrated, not to pick on wives, any wives present, but to illustrate that often it is in relationships that sometimes we can be the devil's advocate. And it works the same for husbands. That if I'm particularly negative, though I have to say I think I rarely am, but I may be at times, the Lord help me if I am. Um, one time after preaching, someone came up to me and said, the trouble with you, pastor, is that there's no encouragement in your preaching. And I thought that was a good day. I preached on, if God be for us, who can be against us? It was a good sermon, everything was from the text. God is for us because he has made not his own son and all that. I said, I don't know what you were listening to, but I said, I think I, think, I, think I was encouraged by the word of God. So it doesn't matter what people think of us. And sometimes we can sadly be the devil's advocate. And we see, dear Mrs. Job, after the second test, which was in chapter 2, uh, skin for skin, verse 4, a man will give all his life, give everything he has for his, for his life, for his health. Evil can evil, I don't know if some of you in that generation to hear of who he was, a stuntman years ago, and the audacity of this man, he's in hell today. In hell he died as a non-Christian. He was boasting in his sin. I tell you, how could BBC, ITV, I don't know what. I've done this, I've done that. I thought, why, why, why are you giving him airtime? Boasting of his sin. Oh, evil Knievel. When Superman died, I said, Superman is dead. Don't know whether Christopher Reeves died in the Lord. I think it's unlikely, but who knows? Superman is dead. There's no Superman. And, and the point is that um, in relationships, and Mrs. Job, sorry, uh, the, these two people, um, Superman had a lot of money, praise God. He worked for it, all good. He had a, a wonderful, effective care because he fell off a horse and so on. And, and paraplegically really struggled in, towards he dies. And um, the point is this, a man will give all he has for his health. You ask somebody on the road, excuse me, what's the most important thing? I'm doing a survey. What's the most important thing in life? You know what they're gonna say? Family. Excuse me, madam, what's the most important thing in your life? Oh, it's your children. Oh, excuse me, what's the most important thing in your life? Health. Is it, is it the most important thing in your life? No, no, no. It's not. Because I'd rather be a sick Christian than a healthy non-Christian. Amen. You want to be, that's it. You want to, I'd rather be in, the, be in the dark where God is, although he isn't, he's everywhere anyway, than be in the light where he isn't. And so um, the point is here that 
Mrs. Jobin, you have to understand, she's, she's buried her children. You have to understand, she saw her husband bankrupted in night. You have to understand, it must not be easy for Mrs. Job. Yeah. I know. So, and yet, of course, she's illustrated here. Verse 9, his wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? And this was the whole point. The devil sought to, although, again, mysteriously, God seems to begin the whole thing. He's not inciting. The NIV uses the word incited against me. God seems to initiate the whole thing, and yet the Bible is very clear. Let no man say, when I'm tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt any man. Right. And God is not the author of sin. Right. And yet, Mrs. Job here says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Job. And he did, of course, wobble and wave and wobble, because he begins to curse the day he was born. I think I'd do the same if I lost all my kids and everything else. And yet... Curse God and die. This was where Mrs. Job failed. Curse God and die. She would have been better just to be quiet and cry for the night and go to bed. Curse God and die. He replied, notice, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? I don't know if anybody's got the authorised here, but the word trouble is the word evil. Yeah? What does it say in the New English? Does it say trouble? In your version, sorry? Uh, yeah? Uh, verse, the end of verse 10. What does it use the word evil? evil? Evil. Oh, there we go. That's right. Shall we not accept good? Notice he says from God. And yet the devil was involved. Shall we not accept good from God? And also trouble, evil. Darling, the Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God with wrongdoing. And this is the triumph of the grace of God. How did he do it? How did he do it as our final application? How did he overcome evil, calamity, tragedy, and disaster? How did he overcome evil that comes into our lives in God's mysterious purposes through dozens of ways, seen and unseen, indirectly and directly, however it is, whatever or not, however. He did it, of course, because he tells us later on when he seeks and looks for the Lord after being worn down by his friends who had a false theology, a false view of God. They meant well, of course, and well-meaning, but you can get, uh, you, we can still get it wrong in the balance. Listening to a preacher years ago talking about preaching, he said that we should have doctrinal symmetry. Sorry about the long phrase, I don't use long phrases. But basically he's saying that we should have a, a proportionate balance to our message. And he used the illustration of a painting like the Mona Lisa, or a painting of anything. If you, of someone's face, if you exaggerate the nose, you've got like a Pinocchio, isn't it? Or if you exaggerate the ears, you've got something else going on. And the whole thing is not proportionately balanced. And so he says that in our sermons there should be some balance. But the point is, when we think about the character of God, if you over-exaggerate a feature and character of God, I think you're going to have some problems, aren't you? There is a sense, I think, we must have a balance to our, the building of our character of God. And, and, and this is what's true. But Job, I think it's in chapter 23 or 24, I can't remember where, but what does he say? Where is God? If I were to go to the, re- to the right and the left, he says, where is God, he says. And he says, I have esteemed the words of my Lord more than my necessary food. This is it. You go home and quote that to yourself and sleep on it. It was more important what went into Job's mouth than what came out of, what went into his mouth from, in terms of um, God's word than what he put into his mouth. It was more important than what came out of God's mouth. I have esteemed the words of my Lord more than my necessary food. Obviously. When, you, when you're stuffed and you're, everything is rubbish, you don't feel like eating anyway. <laughs> but it wasn't because he was fasting and he couldn't eat. 
Uh, it was because uh, he had realized the secret, one of the secrets, one of the keys. And of course, I've esteemed the, Lord's, the words of my Lord more than my necessary food was one of the keys that enabled him to overcome evil with good. It has to be. Had to be, isn't it? And it's going to be one of the keys that will help you face God's sovereignty, overruling in life's disappointments. I've been a Christian since 1980. And, uh, and early in my years in Brentford, speaking to, as I still do, enjoy fellowship with pastors and glean encouragement from other pastors. And I asked the minister one day, I was probably at Brentford five or six years, just a few years. Any advice, any advice? I'm still looking for advice. I'm still green behind the ears. I'm still learning every day, every day. Do you know what he said? Disappointment, he said. Get used to disappointment, he said. Oh, that's not very encouraging. Disappointment, he said. Oh, yes, he said. And I know now that one of Jesus' 256 names and titles is Man of Sorrows. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we need to get used to life's disappointments. That doesn't take away from God's worthiness, no. Doesn't take away from God's wisdom and his grace and his present help in our time of need. But this, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. And I think I'm amazed at people's naivety as Christians. Why did Peter use the phrase, and I think pastors preached on this, think it not strange when you fall into it. Count it all joy, James says. Your attitude and perspective must be biblical and scriptural. Yes, it may not, the symptoms may still be there. Though he slay me, Job said, I will trust him. And with these eyes and in this body, I'm going to see God. I know. I know in whom I have believed. And they can do what they want with me. I don't care. Because uh, I'll wake up and see Jesus. And um, there was a, a blind man I've been witnessing recently to several blind people in Brentford. There's a couple of blind people over the years. And um, this one chap, Colin, pray for Colin. I literally bumped into him because I've got problems with my eyes and I'm not blind. And then we ended up having coffee. I literally bumped into him. I wasn't paying attention. I said, oh, so sorry. I said, oh, you, where are you going? I said, oh, can I join you? Yeah, that's it. Had a coffee with him. Seeing him every now and again. And I'm talking to him about the things of God. Bless him. He's trying to give me life's tips. I said, take it. And I'm telling him that he needs to have eyes to see. Little boy in the train looking out the window. Oh, calm him down. What's he getting us out? Calm him down, people say. He's just come back from surgery. He never used to see before. Now he can see. You know what, people need to see that in your life. Your life <laughs> that your perspective on life now, God is God and God is sovereign. Mm. And I'm facing this with the Lord and the power of the presence of God. We're not being pretentious. We're not pretending we don't fail and fall. Man, you need to see me on an off day. And you need to give me a hug in the Lord. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know. But um, Job understood this and we have to we have to conclude and i hope you don't say this is a bad sermon because i'm not sticking jesus on the end but ultimately of course whatsoever things were written were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might hope have hope christ is in all the scriptures and job's life and example and power and blessing prefigures of course are greater than job who overcame evil by good who conquered the cross and conquered the grave uh, and sin amen and so Jesus, how did he overcome evil with good? He did it from at the age of 12. He learned to read and write. 12-year-old boy, the grace of God was on him. He had to memorize the scripture. Pastor was talking about Jesus in his human nature um, and the Spirit's work today in his message. You can listen to it on the Borough Green website, perhaps. But the principle was that in his nature, in his, our Lord's human nature, though he was God, he had to walk the walk of faith. It wasn't automatic. And just for a real theological discussion another time the question remains was it possible for jesus to sin you can 
few of you could answer me later, I don't know. Because Jesus was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. I said to my wife and I said to other people, it's possible to be tempted without sin. Isn't it? It's the yield, not the temptation. It's the yielding. Every man is tempted and when from within and when we yield. And the point is, as I close, that Jesus is our ultimate example, my friends. Do not be overcome by evil, our dear Saviour. And the Lord Jesus didn't have an easy life. He must have had a terrible child life, I reckon, because he would have made every other child look, <laughs> look a little bit odd. Because Jesus was obedient and subject to his parents. Never ever did they have to say, Jesus, be quiet, don't do that. You should not do, you know. Never ever, can you imagine a child going through school without any perfect report? I don't know. Was, but he was, all, he was so human. Um, some time ago, as a very young Christian, um, I mean, while I was still in, in the Pentecostal church, one of, the, one of the mature men said to me, I can imagine Jesus sawing down trees with his finger. Because he was God, you know, he could do miracles, signs and wonders. And I can imagine Jesus just creating some food. I said, no. I said, no. We have no hint in the New Testament that Jesus did any of those things. And do you know why? No. Right. Because he came in the likeness of sinful man and he didn't mess around these things. The signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus did were to vindicate and to identify that he was the Messiah. They were, they, they were to prove his ability to deal with sin, that you might know that the Son of Man has authority, I say to this man. It was to show his compassion. I'm going into another message now. But the, 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 the miracles and signs and wonders of Jesus, I said, in his human nature. I said, Jesus was a real man. He went to the toilet. He was sick. He knew, he, I think he knew sickness and weakness. The Bible, again, for discussion, I'm sure his weakness, his humanity was surely so real, was it not? That he had all the, without sin, yet without sin. And so uh, Jesus is, our example, my friends, forget my face, I'm just a voice. Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Maybe the last time I see you, I don't know if my, who knows. But my friends, uh, we, we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, don't we, tonight, as we close. May the Lord help us that in our life circumstances we will rest and trust in the courage of God, who does all things well. Jesus said, even so it seemed good in your sight. And we are to say and submit to his will, which is good and perfect, as we said just earlier on, and pray that God will help us in our witness and testimony to, to, to not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good to his glory. Amen. Amen.